Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast. My name is Jay Greg Danny. Here joining us this week is Will Gibson. Will, thanks for joining us. Great to have you on, and, and great appreciate everybody taking time to listen to us today. Uh, today, with everything going on in the market, summer months are officially upon us with uh, June being here. The first you know, few days of June are, are behind us. The temperatures here in Richmond, Virginia over the weekend certainly felt like summer, uh, hitting the mid-90s, hot and humid. Uh, the sun is shining. And as a result, there's a lot of discussions going on around uh, vacation schedules, where people are going to go, what's going to happen. And the way that people are going to go on vacation is by consuming some form of energy, uh, whether it be gasoline for their cars, whether it be jet fuel, whatever it might be. There is certainly a big speculation that uh, energy space is going to see an influx in demand over the course of the summer. And when we look out at the equity markets for, for energy as, as well as commodities, we continue to see positive signs across both of those. And so what we wanted to do today is spend a little time breaking that down, looking at, at energy, uh, the energy stocks, where we see strength within the energy sector, uh, as well as where we see strength within the commodities market, you know, specifically as it relates to a number of the commodity, uh, the energy related commodities. And so uh, with that, you know, energy, uh, we're certainly seeing a lot of uh, uh, talk and, and rhetoric around uh, the demand for energy going into the summer. But really, you know, so far this year, the story really has been in the equity markets, at least, is the leadership of the energy sector. And to put that into perspective, um, you know, consider that the energy sector this year is up about 47%. And that is looking at the energy select sector spider, XLE, uh, through market close on Friday. The energy is up about 47%. Um, now, that is the best performing sector. I think it is worth mentioning this year, all broad sectors are up. And I think that speaks to just the breadth of the strength that we've seen in general, but very much so energy is the sector that is hands down been the best performing sector so far this year. And it's done so by a pretty wide margin. I mean, the, the worst performing sector this year is utilities. And so if we look at that dispersion just this year, the difference between energy and utilities, there's about a 37%, almost 38% dispersion between the best sector being energy and the worst sector being utilities, about 38%. To put that uh, into, excuse me, 43%. There's a 43% dispersion between the best performing sector energy and the worst performing sector utilities. That already, not even halfway through the year, is more than the average dispersion that we've seen over the past 15 years, which is about 38%. Um, and so last year, you saw very wide dispersion in returns. Uh, it was just very different than this year, where energy was the worst performing sector last year, down 37% when all was said and done. Uh, despite the big rally off the bottom, energy stocks are still down about 37%, while technology was the best performing sector. And really, you know, last year was in many ways more of the same for the energy sector and the technology sector. If we look at a period from 2014 through the end of 2020, so for that six-year stretch, the energy sector was the worst performing sector in five out of, the, out of those six years, whereas technology was the best performing sector uh, in three out of those six years and, and was, was certainly up there towards the top, the best performing over that entire time period. That dynamic has dramatically shifted, though, as energy 
has moved into a leadership position across a number of different fronts, whereas technology, we've seen weakness across uh, the technology sector there. So, you know, we mentioned that the strength, obviously, not only in terms of performance, Will, where energy has been the best performing sector this year, um, but we're very much and have seen energy as a group uh, across the board move into a, a strong relative strength position and really uh, becoming a, a dominant leader from a market perspective. Yeah, Jay, that's that's definitely right. And honing in on that relative strength perspective, you know, not just absolute price movement, but on that relative basis, you, you've really seen that across a number of our indicators. A couple that I'm going to mention here is one dolly that we saw energy move up to that top ranked position really about the end of February. But really before that, you saw it make a big run from sitting at 11th at the end of 2020. So November 2020, um, kind of when we got that vaccine announcement. And then you saw a strong rebound going from 11th to 4th in a matter of about two months. And then now where it sits still in, in the top third of the sector ranking. So that's one area that points to energy's kind of relative macro strength. The other that I wanted to spend a moment on as well is on the asset class group scores page. So if you're not familiar with that, it's just where we're ranking groups on our platform, about 135 groups by their average fund score, which is looking at ETFs and mutual funds that represent that group. And we're averaging them together to get an average technical reading or technical score for that group called fund score. So the energy natural resources group right now has a fund, fund score of 4.2. And on a scale of zero to six, zero being the worst, six being the best, a 4.2 clocks in at a pretty optimal or very strong fund score. It puts it in the blue sky zone as we call it on, on our page, if you're familiar with that. So out of all 135 groups, that sits 12th. And that's very notable on a relative basis. And something that I also kind of wanted to mention on this topic is, is that that 4.21 is not a common theme. In fact, really anything north of the 4.0 threshold for this group has been rare in the past. This is the group Energy Natural Resources has only cleared that 4.0 fund score threshold really a handful of times. The last time that we've really seen it apart from this year was in 2008. So that was actually on the way down after the June peak. But by and large, now the sector is, is by and large trending higher and carrying a lot of relative strength in, in its favor, score directions, all of that counting positively for the ener energy sector. And one more thing, Jay, that I, I'm, I'm going to toss in here real quick. And I know we had a conversation about this offline, but when we were looking at energy, you don't only have to play energy through getting crude exposure or getting energy exposure through like a, through like a major spider fund. There are some other areas of the market that tend to move, not with energy explicitly, but tend to trend in that direction. And we looked at this in our report a few weeks back, we calculated crude, crude oil, crude oil betas. What all that was telling us is, you know, the risk or the relative volatility and the movement of what other groups in the equity space tend to correlate with crude. And some interesting areas that are aligned right now, you see financials and industrials, you see small caps, you see Latin America tend to move or correlate in that direction with crude prices. And Jay, right now we're, we're really seeing that from a lot of their relative strength rankings in addition to where energy is, is positioned right now. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you mentioned financials certainly is, is the second best performing sector so far this year. And we've seen a lot of um, strength out of that group as well. Uh, but but you're, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, you mentioned some of the, the group scores and, and the Dolly rankings and, and those types of things. And, and you know, the way sectors and groups move up those rankings is not by one or two stocks or one or two uh, subgroups of that sector doing well. It's really looking at the, the, the broad strength across all energy names. And, and you know, we, we talk a lot about XLE for the energy space as, as a benchmark for that group. And XLE is, is the largest um, energy-based ETF that's based on the S&P 500 energy sector ETF, but it's very much a top-heavy uh, ETF in the sense that Exxon and Chevron are, are count for nearly about 45%, um, nearly 50%, but about 45% of the movement of XLE is directly attributable to Exxon and Chevron. So those two massive companies just control a lot of that, that ETF. Uh, with that said, when you look at something like RYE, which is the uh, Invesco Equal Weighted uh, S&P 500 energy ETF, the performance of, of, of RYE has actually been a little bit better than that of XLE this year. And that's just simply taking all of the same energy companies and equal weighting them. So each company in that, in that index receives the same weight as every other. So Exxon and Chevron are not treated any differently just because they're much bigger companies, but they are, they're given the exact same weight as every other stock within there. And that ETF, again, is up a little bit more. And so what that really tells us is that um, yes, while some of the big behemoth energy companies are doing well, it's really been about the breadth of the strength across energy and, and across a lot of the individual stocks. Um, to the extent that we are seeing a majority of those energy stocks are in positive trends today. Uh, and that's something that we have talked about over the years is just identifying um, positive trends. And, and one of the, the uh, one of the things that, that I always remember when I first started at, at Dorsey Wright was, you know, Tom Dorsey talking about, look, if you could do one thing to improve your portfolio is that don't buy stocks in negative trends, only only buy stocks in positive trends. And that's something that has just always stuck with me over the years. And, and it's, it's very simply because the only way a stock stays in a positive trend is for it to move higher in absolute price. If the price of the stock falls and, and keeps falling, then it is going to violate its trend line and move into a negative trend. But if it keeps moving higher, the trend line keeps moving up with it, that stock stays in a positive trend only uh, to the extent that it continue to push higher in absolute price. And what we can do with that, with that information is for all energy stocks, as an example, we can look at what percent of all of those stocks are trading in positive trends and then plot that. And so we do that, what we call our PT indicators, which stands for positive trend. It's just simply the, the what percent of stocks within whatever universe we're looking at. Uh, in this case here, we're talking about all energy stocks, but we track PT indicators for lots of different universes, including the S&P 500 names, including NYSE stocks, uh, OTC stocks and the likes. Uh, but if we look at that number, ideally what we want to see on those PT indicators is readings north of 50. What that suggests is generally speaking, a majority of that inventory, a majority of that universe that we're looking at, those the majority is in positive trends. Uh, typically when we see that happen, that tends to be a good thing for that particular universe or for looking at like uh, the PT for the S&P 500, PT SPX, um, uh, a reading above 50% tends to just be a good sign for the market, a healthy environment where more stocks 
than not are in positive trends. And that's absolutely the case for energy today. I mean, that reading's at 56%. It's not super high, um, but it is at 56%. Um, Will, which, which as you alluded to, I mean, that's the highest that we've seen since in about six years. Um, for the better part of the past six years, outside of about a month in uh, January of 2017, the vast majority of the past six years, we've seen a reading on that, that PT energy chart below 50%. Uh, suggesting that a majority of energy stocks for the better part of the past six years were in negative trends. That dynamic, that is different today. Um, and that's one of those things that, you know, we've seen over the years uh, while energy was performing poorly, we've, we've seen energy go in fits and starts where you might see some near-term rally, but no follow through. And then that rally kind of peters out and moves, moves lower. Um, if, if I had to say, you know, why is this time different? Um, well, you're seeing things like the PT for the energy sector above 50%, which is just not something you've seen in a while. And so, you know, when we look at the, the rally this time, as opposed to say something like uh, back in 2016, um, that is one of the things that we're seeing that, that is different. In addition to, um, well, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned around um, the Dolly rankings, the asset class group scores and the like. So um, uh, again, that was more of just, you know, the, the, the strength that we're seeing in energy is not um, specific to one particular cap weighted ETF or, or a handful of stocks. It really has been uh, a story about broad strength across the board, um, certainly uh, on the on the heels of news around uh, demand, uh, economy opening back up, energy usage. And, you know, that all the energy companies certainly are benefiting from that. Um, we've also seen uh, the commodities market um, show positive signs as it relates to, you know, things like crude oil, uh, very specifically moving to uh, back to 52 week highs, not anywhere near the June 2008 all time high of $147 a barrel, but but pushing back pretty close to $70 a barrel here recently and hitting new 52 week highs. Yeah, Jay, that those are great comments. And I, I'm glad you added the point about, you know, what looks different this time technically than some of those run-ups of, 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 of times past, things that ended up manifesting in a trade, more or less of a longer-term trend or not a longer-term trend in the past. And one other thing that I, I would add is that right now, there's no shortage of anecdotes that are trying to point to market tops or trying to point to tops within various sectors. And energy, like you said, we see a lot of just technical health in addition to some qualitative health that you mentioned about a reopening economy and a lot of other tailwinds that that could support that. But again, from the technical point, we're seeing things that we really haven't seen in six years, whether it's PT, whether it's group scores. And that said, there is no shortage of you do see some some speculation in the space. You do see some moments of froth. Uh, for example, if you're familiar with our implied momentum bell curves on the platform, we tend to reference those in relation to the broad market. But in for individual sectors, it's just using option pricing to say, you know, what volatility is justified for this current price to be so in, in short. And right now, if you look at just the energy sector, you are going to see a bit of a rightward skew. So the most rightward skewed of all the sectors. But I would emphasize that you typically don't see these types of breadth thrusts or these types of participation when the sector is in downtrend or when the sector is rolling over. Like the broad market, you typically see those breadth thrusts and, and healthy uh, uptrends. So that is one way to kind of navigate if you're looking across charts, seeing some very overbought conditions. If anything, maybe that's an opportunity to, to dollar cost in, get in on a, a bit of pullbacks. 
But Jay, I mean, one other kind of more kind of frothy note I'll, I'll say about the sector amidst the you know overall positive evidence that we've said. One more frothy note or kind of more speculative thing is I saw this in the Wall Street Journal this morning that uh, $100 WTI, so West Texas Intermediate, $100 WTI calls are now the most widely owned contracts on the New York Mercantile Exchange. And I mean, keep in mind that should these leveraged bets kind of move into the money? Jay, you mentioned this before, but this would mark the highest price for crude in over six, six and a half years. So there is a fair amount of investor speculation, but also just investor researched um, expectation that crude prices are expected to to trend higher from here, Jay. And from a relative strength perspective, I'm probably going to pass it back to you and say, given energy's weighting in the S&P 500 on, on a cap-weighted basis, we've talked about this before, where it's really paid this year to be overweight that space on a relative basis, because the market-wise, you're not going to be able to get that um, exposure and that contribution from the energy sector in just a more passive vehicle. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the S and P 500, it's about three percent is uh, invested in energy in the S and P 500. So SPY being the cap weighted uh, S and P 500, about three percent of that ETF is energy. And so, you know, a strong energy market, you know, certainly can play well into an investing plan that is incorporating relative strength. And especially if those looking to add alpha to a portfolio, if you're able to overweight energy, and it doesn't take a whole lot when, when energy is only 3% of the S&P 500, um, overweighting energy is certainly something that can have a meaningful difference in, in a portfolio. And even in an equal weighted fashion, um, energy is a little bit more about 4.5% in something like RSP, which is the S&P 500 equal weighted ETF. Um, so either a, a lot of those broad benchmarks, there's just not a lot of individual energy exposure um, versus something like technology, to put it into perspective, is about 26% of the S&P 500. And that's you know certainly a result of just what we've seen over the past number of years. And uh, I mentioned technology as a sector being the best performing sector, you know, three out of the past four, four years. And so as the stocks of those companies have, have exploded and have, have grown tremendously over the past number of years, so too has their market cap, which has meant that technology has become a more meaningful piece of the S&P 500 at over, over a quarter of the S&P 500 is, is technology stocks today versus just 3% uh, for, for energy. So um, while energy uh, has, has done extremely well, um, you don't necessarily see its impact on major cap-weighted benchmarks um, like the S&P 500. Nonetheless, there's a lot of opportunity, uh, broadly speaking, across a number of different markets, whether you're looking at ETFs, individual stocks, mutual funds, you know, lots of opportunities there, or whether you're looking at commodities. I mean, you know, the, the flip side of, of energy being one of the um, the, the most meaningless sectors in the S&P 500 is that the energy market is the most important in a lot and the vast majority of broad-based commodity markets uh, because much like the S&P 500 is capitalization weighted, meaning the biggest companies get the biggest weight, uh, the, a lot of com commodity benchmarks are production weighted, meaning the, the most uh, commodities in production get the biggest weight, which is crude oil specifically, but you know, energy at large, when you start to account for uh, gasoline and heating oil and, and, and uh, as well as, as crude oil. And so there's, you know, very, energy is, is very much 
um, an important piece of the overall commodity market and a big piece of why within our Dolly rankings, commodities has moved up to the number two ranked asset class over the course of the year as the energy markets and commodity markets have grown. And when you look at, you know, again, you know, even within commodities, it's not just crude oil that's doing well. It's, it's heating oil, it's gasoline, um, all of those uh, up there at the top of the matrix in terms of looking at individual commodities. Um, while the number one ranked commodity, interestingly enough, is lean hogs, um, you see heating oil, crude oil, um, gasoline are all up there in the top four positions uh, right behind uh, lean hogs. So the energy markets uh, for, for as it relates to commodities are certainly um, strong and broad as well. Uh, when, when you're looking at that strength. And there's lots of different ways to gain exposure to energy um, through ETFs. Um, the they're, they're one thing um, I will mention, and I think it's important distinction and probably something that, that many, many, many of you may have um, remembered conversations around this back in May of last year, I guess it would have been April of last year, when the May crude oil futures contracts actually turned negative, is how a lot of these funds take exposure to crude oil. It's not like something like, it's not a commodity like gold, where you can just go buy physical bars of gold and put them in a vault and put them in a bank. And that's how a lot of, of the bigger gold ETFs are put together, where they are actually physically backed by bars of gold sitting in a vault. Crude oil, you can't do that. I mean, you're probably not buying big tanker ships and, and sitting them off the coast. Rather, to get exposure to crude oil, you're buying them through futures contracts. As a result, there's lots of different methodologies to do that. You could buy the front month and roll every month. You could just go 12 months out. You could go do a combination of that. You could do, um, there's a number of uh, products out there that are called optimum roll yield, where they try to look out between one and 12 months and, and optimize the contracts to roll out to, such as to mitigate any negative uh, impacts of backwardation and the option in the, in the uh, contract pricing. Um, so I mentioned all that to say that, that there's a lots of different ways to gain exposure to crude oil. Probably the, the most uh, widely utilized is a product USO, which is the United States oil fund. Um, and, and, but that one, again, it's taking exposure to crude oil, crude oil contracts. Um, as a result for investors, it does mean it will generate a K1 in, in a lot of cases. And so that's not you know, neither here nor there, but it's something to just be aware of, be cognizant of. If you're looking to gain exposure to crude oil, um, a lot of times, the vast majority of times, there will be K1 statements associated with that that will, for, for tax reasons, there are products out there that um, that do have a no K1 structure and still gain exposure to crude oils, crude oil contracts. Um, so those products do exist out there in the marketplace. But I, I guess the bigger uh, the bigger story there is just understand what it is that you're buying, understand how that fund is, is gaining exposure to crude oil. Um, so the, the expectations are there in terms of, of how, um, which contracts that they're buying and, and the likes from there. But lots of different ways, Will, uh, to gain exposure to not only crude, but, but a lot of different commodities as well. Yeah, Jay. Uh, I think those are great points of clarification, and we could certainly have a whole podcast dedicated to just commodities, some of the movement we've seen there, a lot of the mean reversions, a lot of the names that were up on stems pulled back lately, some of the laggards like precious metals have shown a bit of strength, but um, we're, we're going to save that for a, a different podcast in the future, and today we're probably going to go ahead and wrap up, but by and large, we see a lot of relative strength for energy outpacing and 
really an overweight position in a lot of our models and uh, sector allocations right now. We're seeing that absolute strength as well. We're seeing, you know, a multi-year high of number of energy stocks and positive trends. You are seeing some near-term leverage and you know speculation in the space and a, a, a bit of froth, but by and large, that's amidst a more broader positive technical backdrop. You have those other sectors that typically move or in tandem or correlate positively to energy movements also ranking at the top. So multiple arrows pointing to some strength in energy, and that's a trend that we're gonna continue to watch. and. Uh, be, be overweight for the time being. But if you have any questions, we, we love to talk about this stuff. You can reach out to us at our main email, dwa at dorseywright.com. That, that's not a black box. We will get back to you as, as soon as possible, or you can reach out to us over phone, 804-320-8511. All that said, Jay, thanks for having me on this week. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed it. We, we thank you for the attention and we hope to speak with you soon.